How blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Isn't that true? We are a deeply enriched and privileged people. So, yeah, I have been, been over in Brisbane, um, did some ministry in a church over there, I caught up with Jeremy. Fernando, Phoebe wasn't able to join us, but we just had a great time together and um, we must have done a few things right because they're threatening to invite us back. So uh, Linda came with me and Melanie. So yeah, we had a wonderful time over there. Too hot, way too hot. In the 30s through the day and <clears throat> Wellington is good. <clears throat> well, I am going to continue the series which uh, Jesse opened last week on discipleship and um, continue the study on that, and Jesse will follow on next week as well. But if we're going to embrace the whole principle of discipleship, we uh, we can do no better than study the Gospel of Mark. Now, I know discipleship is all over the Scriptures, but the Gospel of Mark gives a wonderful, reasonably short focus on it. And right in the start, in the first chapter, we see that Jesus invites the first disciples to join him in the struggle of um, being an expression of the kingdom of God into the existing world. And the Holy Spirit uh, has continued to call us and invite us and urge us to be part of this over the centuries. But here's one of the many things I love about the gospel and I love about what Jesus has called us to. He presents it where it comes into our ordinary everyday life. To the holy, all things are holy. So even putting the rubbish out is a holy activity in Christ. So I'm sure that when you do it, you pray in tongues and get excited and worship God. And and if if you do, well, more power to you. But um, the amazing thing is Jesus has invaded our ordinary, everyday life. We can do this thing right where we are in every aspect of our environment. We don't have to go to East Mongolia. Now, if God calls you there, please go. Uh, We don't have to go to outer Siberia. Right in that ordinary, everyday part of life, we can build everything that we read about in the Scriptures uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, into real life. And, And that reality is our great privilege. Jesus meets us where we are and empowers us where we are to make a difference where we are uh, in in every part of life. But one of the things that I want to focus about, again, is the whole thing of transformation. Now, we delight in the scripture that says we have been transformed from one degree of glory to another, and that's amazing, and that's what the road of discipleship is meant to be about. But the point that I want to say to you all today is that every person, a believer or not, is in the process of transformation. I saw a wonderful program. I haven't got time to go into all of this now on TV. Um, and it went through a whole lot of different things, but it says you're born with whatever face God gives you. But by the time you are 40, you own your face. By the time you are 40, if you've had joy in your life, despite difficult circumstances, that will be seen in your face. 
If you're carrying bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, that will be seen in your face. If you are a person of enthusiasm and expectancy and hope, that will be seen in your face. Now, I'm not saying I liked listening to it, um, but by the time you're 40, you own your face. So those of you that are not yet 40 yet, you can keep working on it. Now, I'm sure we can, we can change all those things later as time goes by. But some of you remember when Susan Wood was a, the presenter at the 7 o'clock show and part of the home show and all of that. She invited this guy to come in. And um, she was showing pictures. He didn't know anything. He claimed he could read people's faces. So she got him on the show, and she was inviting people to come in. And he didn't know anything about New Zealand. Back then, uh, Rob Muldoon was a prime minister, and so she showed him Rob Muldoon's face and said, describe his character. So this guy was good. He was reading these people very well. Now, Susan Wood had just been through a relationship breakup. And so she says to this guy, all right, read my face. Now, this is on prime television at 10 minutes past seven on this particular night. And he says, right now, there's a lot of pain in you. You're struggling with some issues. I would suspect you've just had a relationship breakup. Now, before the cameras could shift, because they're right on her face, she just suddenly has tears rolling down her face. They quickly went to the commercials. She had a few minutes to compose herself, and then she came back and she said, wow, everything he has said is true. We have to accept who we are is in our face. We're all in the process of transformation. So let's briefly look at this. Ezekiel 7.20 says this. This is uh, Ezekiel prophesying from the Spirit of God. They, being the people of Israel, certain people, transformed the beauty of his ornaments into pride. And they made the images of their abominations and their detestable things with it. Therefore, I will make it an abhorrent thing to them. See, here is the negative side of transformation. These people took whatever God had given them and transformed it into issues that were abhorrent to him. And it was evident in their life and their culture. I'm sure it was evident in their faces. The point I am making is whether we want to wrestle with transformation or not, Every single person is in the process of it, so we might as well line it up with Christ and in Christ because then we can be transformed from what? One degree of glory to another. What a privilege. So we're going to be transformed anyway, so let's get into this level of transformation where it says, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, this is the true beauty and the reflection of creation. When we take God's provision, our gifts, our talents, our health, our well-being, our resources, our finances, whatever they are, and we use them for his glory, not only are we transformed from one degree of glory to another, but the world around us gets transformed as well. See, God's power 
being expressed through our ordinary, everyday life affects even physical matter. That is incredible. There's a great revival going on in Argentina at the moment, and I've mentioned this before. They say the land is starting to produce crops and a degree of fertility that it has never done for hundreds and hundreds of years. See, God's power, God's process of transformation won't be denied. See, uh, Inus has come uh, here today and, and mentioned that something that God challenged her in her life. But by dealing with that, she goes into the next tra- process of transformation from one degree of glory to another. That's what it's about. It's not about condemnation. It's not about God saying, I am angry and, and wanting to appease myself of your sin. Jesus paid that price 2,000 years ago. God's saying, I want to release you from it so you can get up to the next level of glory in me and be changed more into my likeness and you will love it. And your family will love it. And your people in your place of work will love it. We did the go day. I'm sorry I was in Brisbane and missed it. But all we are able to produce on a day like that is what God has already invested in us, and we let it out. Wonderful letter in the leader. Um, If you missed it, just above a response to one of mine that I wrote, but let's not get into that. But the whole issue is this. It affects people, and it affects society. And that's what we're about. Just little old me and little old you out in the community, letting the Holy Spirit be released through the wonderful things he's placed in us, touching other people. So Jesus comes, and in John 14, 6, he makes a statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, this amazing statement is about the life. See, let's pick up truth. The whole Western world is obsessed with truth. The whole thing is based on truth. Now, today on the internet, almost all the truth anywhere that has ever been is on there. So now everybody with a computer that is online has access to an unprecedented and unlimited amount of truth. So the issue, even if you say, well, we have the Bible, the Word of God, well, every single translation and every single language ever written is on the web. So does everybody else who has a computer. All the philosophers and everything they ever said, good and bad, it's all up there. So truth cannot be the issue anymore. The world has it in an unlimited and unprecedented amount. But see, what Jesus has said is do not approach truth and access truth and use truth until you walk in my ways, otherwise it won't convert to life. Adam and Eve found this out. God met with them uh, every day in the garden. 
And what he was wanting to do is out of a relationship with him, they embraced his heart, then he would give them whatever truth they needed to do whatever he had them to do that day, and out of it would come life. I mean, Adam had to have a certain amount of truth, access to truth, to name the animals, which he did. But they short-circuited it, and they bypassed God, they bypassed the way, they went straight to truth, and what came out of it? Death. So Jesus is saying, the issue is not about truth. The issue is about walking in my ways and embracing my heart and having a passion for the same things I have a passion with. Then the truth you access will bring life. See, here's a silly example. If you meet someone in the street and they've got great big ears and you say, my, you have big ears, that's the truth. But there's no life in it. You're going to condemn them, embarrass them because you didn't approach the way of the Lord. Because on the way of the Lord, you would instead pick on something about their life that would encourage them, edify them, and call them up to something greater than what they're currently doing. So even saying, hi, how are you? Hey, did you know there's a good ear surgeon down the road? (laughs) See, that's not going to do it either, but it's all true. There's no life in it. So what Jesus is saying is the truth is a power, but until you've learned how to access it, you can't produce life out of it. So learn of my ways. And his ways are not laws and rules and regulations. His ways are based in covenant and passion because it's a love story about God and his people and our response back to him, and out of that learning of his what? His ways. He says, it says in Psalm 103 verse 7, God showed his acts to the sons of Israel who stood at the bottom of the mountain, but he showed his ways to Moses and called him his friend. See, as a friend, we learn one another's ways. The issue is not about truth. We all have that now. And it's not producing life until it's it's processed in the way of the Lord. So the formula is there, John 14, 6. Get into the way of the Lord, embrace truth, and you will produce life. See, this is not an elite club that God forms. God's no respecters of men, and he desires that we all get this. However, it's important that we understand the degree of revelation we receive from God is limited by the degree of discipleship we are prepared to walk in and embrace. God will not reveal his ways until he sees that we are walking in a way and in a manner that embracing that will produce life. So, how is all of this done? 
I just want to push pause here for a minute because I listened to Jesse's message last week. And whenever we get into talking about discipleship, it is inevitable that we start talking about we need to do this and we need to do that. The Bible's full of it. It's the way it is. And often we say, well, it's just too hard and I'm too tired or I work too hard and now you're saying I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to do that. Listen, before we raise all of those arguments, we need to understand that we don't have to do this in our own strength. God has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do his will his way, and to show up in training every day. See, I I hear the stories. Well, it's just more work. It's more things that we have to do. Well, apart from salvation being by grace, everything requires work, and you're all doing it every day. Everybody here who can walk had to learn to walk, and it required work. Everybody here who can read had to learn to read, and it required work. You were reading and learning to read when you could have been doing other things, but you had to make the choice to do that. Learning to play a sport, learning to play a computer game. I hate computer games, but so many people love computer games. To get good at them, you have to work at it and train at it. Learning to play a musical instrument. All these things require training, brothers and sisters, and so does the kingdom of God, and so does walking in God's ways, and so does does showing up every day and saying, God, I want you to use me. God, I want to have a life full of adventure and fun. We have to show up for training. And there's no alternative, and there's no exception. I was with a dear friend of mine. We were waiting to fly into the bush years ago, and the helicopter was coming through, coming to pick us up. And it's just amazing to watch those machines. They're not meant to fly, and, of course, if the rotors stop, they fall out of the sky, but let's not go there either. So anyway, it, was, it sounded quite good. I'm a mechanic. I have a good ear for motors. It sounded like it was running quite well. So anyway, the wonderful Christian man that was with me said, wow, look at this. Look at this machine. Isn't it fantastic? And he said to me, here is the wonderful thing, Bruce. He said, the Holy Spirit in you and me knows everything about flying that machine. So if he wanted us to, we could fly it. I sat there and looked at him for a while and looked at this helicopter coming through the sky. And I said, no offense, but I'll stick with the train pilot. See, if you go into hospital for an operation, who do you want? Do you want a trained surgeon that's turned up for training, done the hard yards, put himself or herself into the harness of all the, all the things they have to learn and the study and the exams and the time in the operating theatre? Or do you want somebody who comes along and says, well, I haven't done any training, but I'm full of the Holy Spirit and I just tend to wing it? Now, I want the surgeon that's done all the training and all the experience, but 
I'd much prefer it if he or she was also filled with the Holy Spirit, tuned in to the ways of God, and could rise right above their training when necessary, access the wisdom of God, and bring that to me on the operating table. There is the perfect element. It's not one without the other. They both go together. Do we have the Holy Spirit? Yes. Does he know all things? Yes. Is he capable of doing anything he wants through us? Yes. But he calls us to training. He calls us to get into God's word and God's ways. And he calls us into community and says, Christianity is not an individual thing. Come and join with all these wonderful brothers and sisters. And then we start to grind and grate and say, this isn't as good as when I'm just sitting at home on my study. Yes, because all of this is the process of transformation and discipleship that we're called into. I know you're tired of hearing me say this, but God will not put you on the playing field if you have not turned up for training. He'll let you sit in the grandstand and watch. He won't disqualify you. But see, Matthew eleven twelve said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent men take it by force. This game is violent. We have an enemy. We have all sorts of resistance. We battle with our own fallen nature and our own redeemed nature. We have all sorts of stuff going on. And God says, if you don't show up for training, I can't play you on this field. You'll get injured. I watched the rugby last night. I am part Australian. I'm an ardent all-black fan. I don't believe they deserve to win, but we'll take the win. But do you know that the all-blacks, I don't know how all of this works, but there's a fitness rating, and it goes from 0 to 22, 23. The all-blacks do not get accepted until they can get to 19 on whatever that fitness scale is. They aren't even considered for selection. The first thing the coaches look at is what number are they in the fitness level. And no all-black can take the field who's under 19. Because that shows they have turned up for training. Now, it doesn't matter how much skill or how much ability they've got. Jack Nicholas, who was one of the greatest golfers before Tiger Woods, said this. He was sitting in the room and there was Arnold Palmer, Gary Player. I know I'm going back a few years for some of you, but they were sitting in the room in the TV interview. And Jack Nicholas said this. There are many better golfers out there that are in this room. Now, there were these three top players that have won every tournament over and over again for the last 10 or 15 years at that time in the world. Jack Nicklaus said, there are plenty of better players out there that are in this room, but they wouldn't do the training. There it is. There it is. If we're called for discipleship, now, it doesn't matter if you're 5 or 95. We need to show up for training. Let me take this just one little step further. In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus makes a statement. He says, because of the littleness of your faith, 
For truly I say to you, sorry, I'll pick it up from there. Truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moved, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now I know you've I've talked about this before. The amount of faith Jesus is requiring us to have to literally move a mountain is minuscule. All of you expressed more faith than that to come to know him and be accepted in his kingdom. The thing that we're lacking here is not faith. What we're lacking of here is knowing the ways of God, and if we know the ways of God, we know what mountain he wants to shift, and we know what mountain he wants to leave, leave there, and he will not let us move the landscape around until we know his plan and his purposes for the landscape. So you can go to any mountain, we've got some beautiful ones right out the door here, and command that they go into the sea and they won't, and it's not because of your lack of faith. It's because God doesn't want them in the sea right now. And he won't move them. And you can have all the faith in the world, but if you line yourself up with the way of the Lord and he wants that mountain into the sea, you are going to have the absolute joy of commanding it and watching it go and there is no power on earth that can cause it not to go because the minute God says it will go, it's gone. See, the problem is it's not about faith and it's not about truth and it's not about power. It is about knowing the way of the Lord. And until we get ourselves into the harness of walking with him and training with him and allowing the Holy Spirit to prepare us to be in that, we're not going to move the mountains. Now, God doesn't want to do it himself. He wants you to do it and me to do it and us have the pure joy and adventure and fun and excitement of being and shifting the mountains. But we've got to come and meet with him first and find out what he wants done with them. And now we're right across the spectrum of life, whether it's in the medical arena, whether it's in economics, whether it's whatever the place of work, school, education, training, the whole lot. Find the way of the Lord, line yourself up with it, and watch his power flow through you. There is nothing else like it on earth, or in heaven, or in the universe. See, the trouble is, we know enough truth, but we've got to discover the way of the Lord and what God is doing, and what he is wanting us to do. And one of the keys of that is the whole process of discipleship. Um, Jesse's going to be talking more about that next week, so I want to pick up two points. The first one is self-denial. We live in a wonderful country, and we live off the fat of the land, brothers and sisters. We really do. Now, I know we have poor and underprivileged and all the people that need help, and they need us to be sharing our resources and time and all those things. So I know New Zealand has some problems and some people are disadvantaged here. I understand that. But in a general sense of comparison, it is hard for us to understand the process of self-denial because most of us have everything. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer so succinctly states this, when Christ calls a man, 
he bids him come and die. But this invitation is noticeably absent in the gospel of consumer Christianity. See, we have to learn and practice the art of putting our own life aside for Christ's. Now, that doesn't mean that God is calling all of us to be little Jesuses because he's not. He has one Jesus, and he loves him, and he doesn't want any more. What he wants is a Bruce and a Hudson and a Jeanette shared of all the fallen, uh, fallen nature that we have in us so that we can be Christ-like in the person and the being he intended us to, to be. Can you understand that? He's not saying, I want a little Jesus, another little Jesus. He's saying, I want you to be the person I intended you to be and created you to be, divested of your fallen nature, and that's what I'm working through this discipleship process and transformation process to get out of you so that every day you can be more like the person I intended you to be, and you will rejoice and so will I. But we can't achieve these things in the way God intended us to unless we are prepared to deal with and deny ourselves. Like many of you, I can make a lot of different choices in my life today and have the freedom to do that. But I want to get before God each day and say, what would you have me do? And if some of these things are in the way, help me get rid of them, Lord, because I just want to live for your glory. And I know that myself and all those around me will be beneficiaries of that when I do. See, the current divorce rate, and I'm not going to simplify all the problems in marriage, but the key to them all is selfishness. The current divorce rate that we have in the world is because people won't surrender themselves to the benefit of their partner, their their spouse, their husband or their wife. Most marriages fail through selfishness. Those that become one in Christ will endure anything. So surrendering our immediate selfish desires is a trade-up. See, I'm taking what I think I treasure and I am bringing it up into Christ and allowing him to take it and bring it back to me refined and redeemed through the holiness of who he is. It's a trade-up. And Jesus illustrates this by describing the kingdom of God as a treasure which we surrender what we think is of value to the pearl of great price. Prize that everybody is looking for. And Jesse read from Philippians 4.13 last week. We can bring this before God because we can do all things through him who strengthens us and this wonderful provision and promise leaves us without excuse. But don't forget what Paul went on to say. He says, now I can gain, I can count all things I have as rubbish to what I have gained in Christ. Please don't think Paul is just talking about salvation. He's talking about the sheer privilege, hope, and journey of walking with Christ through every aspect of life. 
And he's saying, look, there's nothing like this. I had everything before and I count it now. All is done for now what I have. I'm in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and there is nothing like it. Nothing can even be compared with it. Second point I want to talk about is facing the trials. Dallas Willard calls them the trials of ordinary existence. Quite often we talk about, well, here's the trials. They have to be major traumas. I've just been told I'm losing my job or being made redundant or I've just had a car accident. Look, the trials we are facing, we face in everyday life. And we have to master our selfish nature and see what it is that God has in us through this trial so that we can come out of the other side of it with a greater degree of freedom that we had when we went into it. Instead of acting as though it's the end of the world, we're called to respond with the mind of Jesus in the garden where he did say to God, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. There is nothing wrong with praying that. I do it all the time. I've got a scripture for it, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. God will not allow anything to overtake us, but such is common to man. And with the temptation will provide one of two things. Either the way of escape or the way to endure it. Now, I always go after the first one, the way of escape. Let me out of here. (laughs) My life has showed me, and and I know many of you here, as we've sat down and talked over the years, your life has showed me, most of the time, God gives us the grace to endure it rather than the escape to get us out of it. Now, don't stop praying for the escape. But see, don't forget what Jesus then said after that. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. We can put a big pause in there. That's okay. But then it says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The thing I hate most in my Christian journey is having to go around the mountain twice. If God's taking me around the mountain or down to the woodshed, it's bad enough once, but I don't want to go back again for the same thing. So let's go around the mountain, find what God has for us in it, deal with whatever we need to deal with, and come out the other side and say, thank you, Lord, because it's working with a prayer that I often do pray out of Psalm 17. Lord, I will not be satisfied until I awake in your likeness. I want to finish by saying this. The call to discipleship is not the wide door. It's the narrow door that few will enter. I don't believe that that is about salvation and God's threatening us that most of us are not going to make it. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe it's talking about the journey of life and the prize of walking with Christ in every situation and every event we face in life. That's what I believe is the narrow door that few will enter. That's what I believe it to be. The great treasure through the door is a piece of the kingdom of God. 
The great treasure is finding out what God designed us for, what he equipped us for, what he put in our heart, and letting him take us on this wonderful adventure, being changed from one degree of glory to another each and every day, and building up an eternal weight of glory that is going to reside in us, not only in this life, but in the life of the age to come. That has got to be worth turning up for training for. Amen? Father, we want to thank you that you take an interest in our life beyond just the point of salvation. But Father, at that point, you call us to discipleship. You call us to come up and journey with you. You call us to be a part of your work and what you're doing on this wonderful planet. Lord, help us, despite ourselves, sign up for whatever degree of training you're calling us to. Help us embrace it, not only willingly, Father, but with a fervency and an enthusiasm that will lead us on to uncover everything you would have us uncover in you in this life on earth, Father, we ask. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. God bless you. Thank you, everybody. There will be more to come next week, so get into the process and stay there.